There we go. All right. Uh, well, again, happy Mother's Day. And, and uh, I thought today we might start off things a little bit differently. Is um, There's lots of moms out there. But I want you guys to turn to somebody and tell them your favorite TV mom. What's, the, what's your favorite TV mom? All right. So tell somebody around you real quick your favorite TV mom. Go. So obviously our, our favorite is our real moms, but there's got to be some favorite TV moms out there as well. So I'm going to start over here and see uh, who the favorite TV moms are on this side of the room. So just go ahead and give me a, a favorite TV mom. Claire, Claire from Modern Family. I told you 1030 was going to be my service. Okay. Who All else right, we got right, over here? Right, okay. Favorite TV mom. <laughs> Who was it? Lorelai Gilmore. Told you 1030 is going to be my service, dude. It's my service. All right, let's see what else you got. Uh, who, who do we got over here? Roseanne. This is the second time I've heard this. We just, we just stop and pray for these people right now. What in the world now, is that? Now, here's what's hilarious. Is someone else last night said Roseanne, and it was his assistant, which I thought, all right. We need right. to be a little bit more tight on our hiring process around here, <laughs> you know? All right, let's hear it. Favorite TV mom? mom who was it? From the Goldbergs. What, what was her name? In her name? Goldbergs? <laughs> Beverly. Beverly from the Goldbergs. I know that one. I actually know that what one. What is that one? It's a TV show. It's, Thank you. That yeah. would be the game. All right, another one from, another one. Favorite TV mom? Oh, there it is. June Cleaver, the right answer. That's the right answer. See, the half of the audience went, who? <laughs> so let, let me check over here. We got to get back over to my peeps over here. What do we got? Father Knows Best. Father Knows Best. Again, I've not seen that on Netflix, so I'm not familiar with that show. Oh, from This Is Us? The mom from This Is Us. I haven't seen the show, but I know the show. All right, I, heard it's I need very a couple emotional. more over here. What do you got? What's the mom's name? From Family Times? Family Ties? Michael, oh, from Michael J. Fox back in the... Okay, I remember that one. I can't remember her name, though. Anybody remember her name? Elise. Elise? Elise? Okay. That was okay. before my time. So know. here's what happened. We were talking about this, and I said, well, the answer is going to be June Cleaver. And he went, Who? And so, honest to goodness, in each of the other two services, he didn't know. One was Harriet Nelson, June Cleaver, and one more that you'd never heard of. And you said... Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Marion? Was it Marion Cunningham? Yeah. He didn't know any of them, and now he said this was his service. You were right. This and you didn't service. know any of these at the service. I know, service. I know. I, you, you, okay, even up, even up. All right, good uh, That's awesome. See, that's I said, my people are sleeping in right now. They'll be here at 1030. And they're here. And then, they're boom. Here. Here they you were. know what would be interesting? It would be an interesting sociological study of how we view moms through our TV shows over the years. All right, don't years. get deep yet. All right, let's just, let's just chill. Okay, it's Mother's Day. <laughs> Relax. So don't have to make something out of it. It was just a game? Yeah, it's fine. All right. Um, yes, Mother's Day. We, of course, we want to honor moms. And, and we thought it would be kind of fun to talk through some of the four mothers in the Bible. Hey, no. Wait, wait, wait. 
I just realized it's Mother's Day and we're doing a father-son team teaching. Yep. Do you think on Father's Day Connie and Chelsea would teach? Absolutely not. Do you think my wife and daughter should teach on Father's Day? I think so. I believe in miracles. Not going to happen. All right, go ahead. Not going to happen. Um, anyway, so have we done offering it, by the way? I don't know. I see Did people standing at the back of the room glaring at us that. right we now. Should we do should offering. do offering. Let's do that. That's what these buckets coming down are for. Hey, by the way, I have to tell you, Mother's Day story. So I'm flying in while they're doing the offering. This isn't part of our talk. Uh, so I'm flying in yesterday morning. I'm being with family. You know, we got stuff going on. And uh, I get motion sickness, so it's terrible. And short flights are the worst because it's up and then down, right? So we land in Orange County, and I made it. You know what I'm saying? I made it. Everything's still inside. So we land, and I have my eyes closed, and I look up just in time to see a little girl sitting in her mom's lap just blow chunks, just it's all over the floor and about the time you think she's done she goes again and mom's trying to catch it and is this too graphic oh you ain't seen nothing yet wait till you hear what he's going to talk about uh and so but what the most amazing thing is everybody in the plane goes oh i mean even during the 20 minutes they're cleaning it up before we can get off we're already at the gate we're sitting there and here it's I, moms are different than dads like dad would be like what happened you little puke <laughs> and don't you know they have bags for this, right? Mom was like, oh, honey, are you okay, sweetheart? Oh, it's okay. I didn't like this outfit anyway. And we're just all going, really, Mom? Really? And the whole time, so finally, the little girl goes, oh, all better. <laughs> and Mom thought it was so cute. And I'm like, can we get this cleaned up? I got to get off this plane. But moms, we love you. We thank you because of stuff like that that you don't have to do. We appreciate it, though. All right, you got a sermon to do. Let's get All right, to this. So, uh, in the Bible, we see that um, there's a lot of mention of forefathers, right? The forefathers of the faith. In fact, in our society, we talk about the forefathers of our nation, and you probably have forefathers in your, your own family lineage. Um, but there is this really peculiar kind of thing that happens in this book of Matthew, in which he points out the four mothers of Jesus, those who came before Jesus. And of course, we know one of those directly would be Mary, but he mentioned some other characters as well. And so if you look into the book of Matthew, and if you're not a church person, you're not familiar with the Bible, kind of the rundown on this is, there are four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels, and they give us uh, an eyewitness account or uh, uh, interviews of eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and death and all and resurrection. And, and so we get um, all the stories about Jesus from those four books. Well, Matthew, who happened to be one of the disciples, followed Jesus around for those three years that he did his ministry. Um, he starts off his book, his story of Jesus, in a really strange way. He starts it off, and if you've ever um, kind of said, all right, this is the year that I'm going to read the Bible, you know, I'm going to do it. And so you open up the New Testament, and you go, I'm going to learn about Jesus. And you go, okay, Matthew 1, 1. And you go, this is why I don't read the Bible. And then you close it, and you try again next year. It's because Matthew starts off with this. Here's what it says. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Animadad, Animadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of... And it goes on like this for an entire chapter. I can't read it all right now because it makes me too emotional, but... If you were looking at it, you would go, this makes no sense and is extremely boring. But 
the audience who is reading this and, and the people that um, Matthew was writing to was primarily Jewish. And so when they saw this, the opening line where it talks about a genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, they would have gone ding, ding, ding. That's what we're looking for. Because there's been prophecy for a really long time that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was going to come from the line of David and the line of Abraham, that they were going to be from Israel. And so proving that Jesus was of the correct lineage would be one thing that they were looking for. But Matthew does something else. He not only just proves the lineage and who Jesus is and that he's come from the right family, but he highlights some very unique characters, people whom he did not need to highlight. In fact, it was really strange that he did, but he goes out of his way to highlight five women, which in that context was really weird to put women uh, in a lineage because they would mostly just recognize the, the men of the family. But not only does he put five, in, five women, but he puts five of the most controversial women. And he just goes out of the way to kind of rub salt in the wounds of the readers, the Jewish people. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, one person that he mentions here, it says, uh, and it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you're not a Bible reader and you think the Bible is boring, try this story on. Genesis 38, at the very beginning, you will find the story of Tamar and Judah. Judah, um, Judah is uh, brothers with Joseph. Remember he had that colored dream coat thing going on, sequence maybe? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, he's a famous character. Well, he has got a brother, Judah. Judah goes on with his life, and he has three sons. He marries the first son to this woman named Tamar. He dies. The rule of law is that you have to then marry that woman, Tamar, to the second son. He's killed as well, and so he's supposed to marry to the third. A bunch of crazy events happen, and here's the ending of the story. Spoiler alert. The two people that are mentioned in this genealogy, the two kids um, who uh, Tamar gave birth to, are by her father-in-law, Judah. That's some Jerry Springer stuff right there, all right? <laughs> very crazy, very weird. Read it. There's like R-rated stuff in there that I couldn't even, uh, couldn't even read in church. He also mentions a couple other people. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What a weird way. One, to put a woman in there, and then a woman they want to forget, and then he makes her to mention, did you remember... Her name is Bathsheba. She was originally married to Uriah. Now, Uriah is King David's best friend. While he's off to war, King David has an affair with Bathsheba, his best friend's wife, gets her pregnant, and then, to cover the whole thing up, has his best friend killed. Yeah, Bible's interesting, right? Some of you guys are going, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's in there, man. It's crazy. And then he mentions another one. He says, uh, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, Rahab, she's actually a pretty good character, but she's had a pretty sketchy past. And her deal is that she was, um, how do I put this lightly? Uh, a working woman, shall we say? A woman of the night? Uh, I don't know there was a lady last night who, uh, who came and said, no, here's the phrase, of negotiable affections. Negotiable affections. <laughs> And so right off the bat, Matthew is bringing all of these stories to the reader's mind. He's putting these, and I like to think of these, uh, these characters kind of outcasts. They're moral and social and, and uh, religious outcasts. Some of them were Gentile women as well. And he puts those at the beginning of the story of Jesus' life. And he wants to make sure um, that you realize kind of the, the, the outcasts that were part of Jesus' family. Now, 
I'm willing to bet that everybody in this room has some people in their family that they would consider outcasts, some people whom uh, they would not want to probably bring up at the dinner table when you're meeting new friends, when you're dating, you wouldn't want to go, okay, well, Uncle Jerry, you, you got to meet him. Well, you can't really, because he's, but anyway, it's crazy, you know, it's a, it's a mess, right? We've all got those relatives, and the same is true of, of, of our family as well. Um, not you, not you. Uh, I, have a, I have an interesting story about our family. If you've been around, you know it. And if you know my last name, it's spelled S-U-R-R-A-T-T. And you try to be polite and you say Surat, but it's not. It's Surat. And um, it, you may not know that name in history, but you know someone that my family is associated with. His name was Abe. Abraham Lincoln. Wait a minute. You're related to Abraham Lincoln? No, but I was raised oh. in Illinois. Okay. <laughs> Land of Lincoln, which wasn't comfortable with my last name in history class because do you know who killed Abraham Lincoln? Well, John Wilkes Booth. But do you know who conspired with John Wilkes Booth and was the first woman hung in America for having conspired to kill Abraham Lincoln? Her name was Mary Surratt and her husband, John. Some, of them, some people just went, Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. And the reality is, as a typical Surratt, she probably died as an innocent woman. She probably wasn't involved, but her son was and let her take the rap and later made money lecturing about it. That is a Surratt thing to do right there. I'm just telling you right now. And so my family has some, some dark past, but it's not just ancient. It is more recent, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the deal. Just because your family isn't from the right side of the tracks or the right side of town or the right educate, whatever, it doesn't mean that God can't do something spectacular because that's why these women are in here. A part of why they're in here is to give us hope no matter what your family of origin looked like because it doesn't matter as much where you come from as where you're going. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Yeah, and Jesus, he says, look, this is the family that I came from, and, and these are the people that I choose to hang out with. Is Jesus hung out with these, these family, uh, people that were just like his family members, the prostitutes, the cheaters, the, 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 the moral outcasts of society. He says, this is where I come from, and these are the people that I've come, that I've come to. But Matthew doesn't just highlight the outcasts. He also highlights the outsiders. And what I mean by outsiders is, and maybe you felt like an outsider before, in which you're kind of on the outside of maybe a group or a culture, or, uh, and you're looking in. Well, that's kind of what happens in one of the stories of, uh, in Jesus' family with this woman named Ruth. Is she was an outsider. Ethnically, she was an outsider because she wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile woman. And she was an outsider in this society because, one, she was a woman and later on becomes a widow. And shows she's very much on the outside. And yet we see that in her story, um, she, and if you don't know the story, I'll give you just a, the bullet points really quick, is, is she marries some Israelite men. Uh, her husband dies. Her father-in-law dies as well. And so it's her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi says, you know what? You need to go back home. I'm going to go back home. And we'll just start this whole thing over. This is a mess. Um, in fact, I'm pretty angry at God. I want nothing to do with any of this. And we find out that Ruth has some pretty, uh, pretty substantial character. And when she commits to something, she means it. And she's committed to this family, and she's committed to the, to the God of Israel. And so she says, I'm going to go back with you, and I'm going to take care of you. In a foreign land where I know nobody, and it's going to be very difficult, and even at the, uh, maybe the risk of my own life, I'm going to honor this commitment. And so what happens is, because of her faithfulness, she ends up getting married to a man named Boaz. 
And Boaz brings the entire family and, and saves them out of the destitution that they have found themselves in. Saves Naomi, the mother-in-law, saves her as well. But something even crazier happens. Because of her faithfulness, this outsider, we find out that within just a couple of generations, God does something pretty significant. It says in the, in, in the genealogy, it says, Obed, whose mother was Ruth, that's our, that's our character, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And so we see this outsider who is born into the wrong family at the wrong place. She has the wrong beliefs, and then God uses her and brings her into the family. Not only does he redeem, uh, does he redeem Ruth and the family, but he redeems the entire nation of Israel through this outsider. This is a turning point in her family, but it's also a turning point in Israel because they were, they were quickly um, running away from God and turning their back on God. And we see through King David that he helps turn the nation back towards God. And it all begins with this little Gentile woman and her faithfulness. The point of this is that God can work through outcasts, no matter where you come from. Uh, and he can work through outsiders. And he takes this outsider and he changes the trajectory of the nation of Israel, not just her family, but the nation of Israel. I want to suggest to you that in, in families, we have legacies. We, have, we can either pass on curses or blessings. And many of us, and Cody will talk more about this moment, have received one or the other. And I think we've forgotten the, the story of Ruth and the power of the story of Ruth of where one woman who said yes to the true God, changed the trajectory of an entire nation. So uh, I talked about my, my uh, relatives way back. Let me tell you about my grandma and grandpa because the family didn't get a whole lot better over the succeeding generations. And during the prohibition, my grandma and grandpa, um, uh, well, first of all, they weren't married when my dad was born. And they uh, made their living by selling illegal alcohol. Not just selling it, but making it. And they used to store it in the pig pen because they knew the revenuers wouldn't get their new shirt, their nice shoes dirty by going out there to look for it. And they were basically criminals. My grandfather today died. You could feel the little pellets under his skin where he carried shotgun blasts from gunfights over illegal substances. He would be comparative to a modern-day drug dealer. And... Um, and was not, one, at one point years later, they wrote in retrospect about his life and they interviewed people around the town where he lived. And the phrase, the meanest man in town, was used regularly because that's who he was. But something happened. And my dad even remembers, my, first, my dad's first memory is of grandpa taking him to a local place where they would drink alcohol illegally. And my grandfather would get a, a big beer and my dad at five years old would get a little beer. And that's what they remember. And uh, he remembers. But something happened. My grandmother um, became very ill and was about to die and had been in bed for weeks. And uh, one night, they all knew she was about to die. And she heard there was a, a traveling pastor, minister, holding a little church service out in a tent in their little town. And she asked one of the relatives if they could take the Model A or Model T, I don't remember which was, put her, carry her, put her in the back seat, and let her go and listen. And she was not religious. Nobody in their family was religious. But she heard a message that if you would trust Jesus, he would forgive everything you'd done wrong. And, and she felt like she had a lot to be forgiven for. And at the end of the message, the speaker said, and if there's anybody who would like to be forgiven and accept Jesus as the one who forgives them, um, just raise your hand. 
and nobody could see because uh, the driver, the family member had gone to smoke a cigarette or something. But in the back of that car, she raised her hand as high as she could. She was too weak to get it very high, but she got it as high as she could. And nobody but her and God knew she raised her hand. And then they led a little prayer. And she said that prayer. And then at the end of the prayer, she said, and God, if you will heal me, let me raise my children. I will talk about you the rest of my life and I will tell people about you. She went home and the family was in bed and she got in bed. And the next morning they, oh, uh, they got up and they found her at the kitchen table eating. It was the first time she'd gotten out of bed in months. And they couldn't believe it, but they were superstitious country folk. And they figured, well, there's one last little surge of energy before she dies because they fully expect her to die. And so they went to work, which she tells you something about the family. And, uh, and they came back at noon and she was still eating. And she was hungry. She hadn't eaten in months. She was catching up because she was completely well. She was completely healed. My grandfather, being a very tough, a very bad man, came in and said, what happened? He said, I'm healed. How come? Because I believed in Jesus. I don't want any of that religious stuff. I'm not going to live with some holy roller. So that night when she went to bed, he got a suitcase and snuck out of the house. He was gone. Except for he didn't get far because something happened in the front yard. It's very much like Paul in the road to Damascus. Something knocked my grandfather down. There was not a tree there. There was not something, but something knocked him down. It didn't knock him out. He laid in the front yard paralyzed all night long, fully conscious, fully awake, and could not move a muscle. And it came closer to dawn. I don't know if it was because he knew my grandmother had a temper and would find out he was sneaking away, or he actually believed in God, but he finally prayed a prayer, and he said, God, if you're real, and whatever happened to my wife is true, then let me get up, and I will, the rest of my life, I will believe in you. And immediately got up. It's a true story. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing. My grandfather not only became one of the kindest, gentlest, loving people you have ever met, he began to go back to his old adversaries and make amends. And he eventually became a pastor. There was a woman sitting in the third row last night who attended one of his churches. He became a pastor. And because of that decision of one little frail, dying woman, not only did he become a pastor, there are now close to 30 of us in full-time ministry, children and grandchildren, and this weekend, and I'm not bragging, but in this weekend, in our churches around America, there will be thousands of people worshiping God because of the decision of one little lady. You think your life doesn't matter? It does. So we received, uh, um, I don't know how you got it, somebody texted you or something, uh, a news report from Tennessee, from Nashville. And, it, and uh, just the week of Easter, the news crew had come to film one of my cousins telling this story. And in it, he said, so, and, it was, and it was just the story I've just told. And they showed it on the local news. It was about redemption and, and the redemption of families. And, and uh, in it, he said something amazing. He said, you know, the, way, the race is often run or won or lost based on the handoff of the baton. And what my grandmother handed off in the way of legacy wasn't a, a thriving illegal booze business and it wasn't bad marital relationships it was that a god loves you and can change you and can use you and that was the baton that was handed to my dad and handed to me and handed to him and is being handed to his children moms we love you 
for the batons you hand us. And the most important baton you can hand off is that Jesus loves you and that he has a plan for your life. And if you can hand that off, no matter what else happens, you've done the most important thing you can do. All of us leave awake. I'm going to let Cody talk about what we leave in terms of legacy. Yeah, I mean, as I think about um, the legacy that I've inherited, uh, I come to realize that much of who I am and, and what I've decided to do is something that's been given to me. Uh, if I think about my job, I think about where I live, I, I even think about the people that I hang out with, so much of it is based upon uh, my parents, my grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, and, and the decisions that they have made and the legacy that they've, they've left me. And it, it's kind of a, a startling thing to think about that one day um, I will be the great-great-grandparent of some future children in which they're going to look back and go, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember him. I think I saw him one Christmas. Yeah, he was kind of uh, stinky a little bit, right? Like, is that the one we're talking about? Yeah. And when I think about that, I, I realize that I am leaving a legacy to not just my children, but my children's children and my children's children's children. And the things that I'm doing in, in my life right now are setting a pattern for them. And see, if you look at your life, you have either inherited a legacy in which you believe is a curse or a blessing. I know lots of people who have inherited a legacy that they're trying to break. We call them generational curses. Nothing magical about them, but you know that they exist because the reason why you struggle with addiction is because your parents struggled with addiction. You're trying to just be the first generation that does not have a marriage that ends in divorce. That you're trying to overcome this codependency and this abuse and these, as you look at the inheritance, the legacy that you've been given, you're trying to be the one that breaks it. And some of us are just trying to be the ones that, that, that don't, don't mess it up. During the handoff, we've been handed something beautiful and we go, okay, my job is to continue this legacy on. And so the question that kind of popped into my mind as I was thinking about Ruth and the legacy that she has left and, and even the legacy that we have been given is, what are the future generations going to say about the legacy that I have left? Are they going to say, wow, that was an incredible blessing that we have been handed this legacy? Or are they going to say, that is a legacy in which I'm going to try to break the curse. I don't want it to continue on. And so everybody's leaving a legacy. My question would be, what kind of legacy are you going to be known for? Now, when we talk about Bible stories, we talk about these big, grand, revolutionary uh, moments in which people make decisions and they change things, and yet I don't think that at the end of the day, um, that's all that there is. Because we've talked about out, uh, outcasts, these people who their lives are turned around and God used them, and we, we've talked about these outsiders, and I think there's still one more category. Because the last woman that Matthew mentions in his uh, passage is the mother of Jesus, Mary. And you know what is just outrageous, what is so special about Mary? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing special about Mary. It's interesting in, in, in different religious traditions, we try to make Mary, you know, she was perfect. She was, no, Mary was a good teenage girl that believed in God. Nowhere in Scripture to say Mary deserved anything special or she was a special Mary. And I happen to believe God saw her heart and she probably had a pretty good heart. And she, But you know what's incredible about Mary? She was an ordinary person who said yes to God. She was an ordinary girl that said yes to God. Why God picked her, I don't know. We don't understand from Scripture. But there's no indication that there's anything unusual about her. You see, God can take the outcasts and he can take the outsiders 
and he can take the ordinary and he can make all of us outstanding if we will say yes. And today our hope for you is that whether you see yourself as an, an, an outsider, you came here and you go, I don't know about this church stuff, or an outcast because you don't want us to know where you've been or what you've done, or you just see yourself as an ordinary person, I want you to hear that God sees the possibility, the potential in you to be outstanding. To not just be outstanding, but to leave an outstanding legacy. We're at a critical time with my family. My dad's in hospice. And I have to tell you, it's not the positions he's held, the properties he's owned. It's not the money in his bank account. It is the legacy he's leaving in us and in his grandchildren and the baton that he has handed off. And so today, on Mother's Day, we want you to know that God has an outstanding, outstanding plan for your life if you say yes. So whether you're a mom and you feel like you're not quite making it, but if you say yes to God, you'll leave the right legacy. If you're a child and you know you're not really, not really handing off a good baton and you're not on the right track, if you say yes, it'll change. We truly believe that. We've experienced that. We know it to be true. And we can show you several generations later what it looks like. The question that Cody posed is the one I'll leave you with. Have you said yes to Jesus? Not just for you, but for those around you and those yet to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that you, that you loved us and that we are a part of the legacy of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came not only to live a perfect life, but to actually provide for our our very forgiveness and the future that you intend for us. Lord, we thank you for the incredible mothers who are handing off and, and handed off incredible gifts of faith. And we pray for those who are attempting to do so now and they're in the middle of the struggle and some days it doesn't feel like it's working. And yet when you are in control and we have said yes to you, we know it does. And so today, if there's anyone who hasn't said yes to you, be they a mom or a child, I pray that today they would understand the incredible gift that you're trying to give them. And they would say yes to you. And Lord, we know that you said yes to come, to redeem us, to forgive us. And that was the best gift ever given. And so today, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.